Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps at some point in your life or, or else maybe, maybe while you're watching a television program or, or movie, you, heard, you have heard words like this before, I solemnly decl- uh, swear in the presence of Almighty God that the evidence which I shall give to the court shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Sometimes this is done while someone places their hand on a Bible. Maybe you've even had to do that at at a certain point. Now, I've never had to do that before. I give testimony in a court and giving an oath before testimony. But I can imagine that's a very solemn moment, making a swearing that oath in the court of law. After all, you're saying in that moment, if you were to ever do that, while I'm speaking as a witness to this court, a God is serving as a witness to me. He knows whether I speak the truth or if I lie. And if I lie, well, under oath, he will certainly judge me. He is the great judge after all. So as you can see, the making of an oath like that, it's no small matter. We don't often make vows in life, but there are situations that call for them. You could think of something like marriage. When two people get married, they make wedding vows. You can also think of a profession of faith. Make vows at your profession of faith. Now, why do we make them? Uh, why do we swear oaths in these special situations? Especially when Jesus teaches us to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Why do we make these oaths? What's the purpose of them? Well, as we hope to see this afternoon, swearing an oath like this does indeed serve a very important purpose. And because they are so important, we need to take care that we make them in a godly manner to God's glory. This means also, one thing, following the example of God Himself, who has revealed to us that He, at times, makes oaths as well. So that brings us to the sermon theme. Following the pattern of God Himself, Christians make oaths in a godly manner. We'll look at uh, two main things. First of all, we're going to look at God's oath-making, and secondly, our oath-making. So throughout the Old Testament Scriptures, we see the Lord at various points uh, making an oath, swearing an oath. And in this sermon, we're going to look at three of them, all of which are cited in the book of Hebrews. And doing this will help us to see the character, the purpose, and even, even the difficulty that can come with making oaths. And this will help us to apply oath-making rightly to our own lives. Now, in our reading from Hebrews 6 and 7, the author cites two oaths God made in the Old Testament. The first one, uh, cited in Hebrews 6, is the oath God swear, swore to Abraham in Genesis 22. In that chapter, Abraham acted in faith Uh, At God's command, he went to Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Now, the Lord, of course, stopped Abraham at the very last moment. 
But in response to Abraham's act of faith, the Lord swore an oath to Abraham, saying, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. So that's the oath God swore in Genesis 22. And Hebrews 6 comments on that oath as follows. First, it makes this general observation about vows made by people in the world. It says, when people swear an oath, they swear by someone greater than themselves. That, that's just how uh, vows work. You know, if someone in the world swears an oath and because they want to confirm something important, then that person doesn't swear by something frivolous or no one's going to take him seriously. Instead, people swear by something important to them, something greater than themselves. And Hebrews 6 then adds, But look now at the Lord God. There is nothing or no one greater than God by which he could make an oath. And so God swore by himself, as he said in Genesis 22, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now we might wonder, why would God need to make an oath like this? Why would he make an oath like this? He is already trustworthy. He doesn't make promises with his fingers crossed. If anyone can be trusted to let his yes be yes, it is the Lord. So why this oath? Hebrews 6 answers that by saying, God did this because he desired to give certainty to his people. God did not swear this oath because he is untrustworthy in any way. Rather, he swore this oath because as weak and sinful people, we have a hard time trusting him. The Lord wanted to benefit Abraham and all his people. He wants us to have certainty in our minds to have stability in our faith. Verse 17 puts it like this, God guaranteed his promise with an oath because he desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. After all, think of how significant it is that God did this, swore this oath. By swearing this oath, God put his very character on the line. If he, the Lord, does not keep this oath, then God has stopped being God, which cannot happen. It would mean his faithfulness has been completely shattered. His trustworthiness is completely gone then. His credibility would be totally undermined. And this is one reason why the Lord was so angry with that generation of Israelites who came out of Egypt and died in the wilderness. Despite this oath he swore to Abraham and his descendants, 
Despite these signs and wonders he showed them, they still refused to believe his promises. And in response to their unbelief, God swore another oath, which we sang about in Psalm 95. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And Hebrews 3 3 and 4 warns us not to follow the pattern of that sinful generation. Instead, we are urged to live by the same faith of Abraham. Think of Abraham, to whom the Lord swore this oath. Abraham could say to himself, Okay, the Lord has sworn this oath about keeping his promises to me, and that gives me unshakable certainty. If God uh, swears this oath, I can be 100% sure that he will do what he says. And we can live by that same faith as Abraham, also because God has sworn another oath specifically for the benefit of New Testament Christians, for people like you and me sitting here. The oath God swore for our benefit specifically is the second oath discussed in Hebrews 6 and 7 that God made. And that oath is from Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is about the coming Messiah, or to be more specific, God's promises to the Messiah. Psalm 110 is basically Yahweh, the Lord, speaking to the coming Messiah. And in verse 4, the Lord says about the coming Christ, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So that was another oath that God swore in the Old Testament. Now, how does that oath from Psalm 110, how does that benefit us? Well, the author of Hebrews explains this in Hebrews 7. You see, the author is writing to primarily uh, Jewish Christians uh, who have confessed the name of Christ. And some of them were in danger of abandoning their confession of Christ and going back to their old life of Judaism. After all, that life was so familiar to them. Things like the Passover, uh, the physical temple in Jerusalem, the sacrifices made by the priests there, it was all just so ingrained in their Jewish identity that they had lived with for centuries. It's how they worship God. But now that they professed faith in Christ and joined the New Testament church, everything seems so different. There was no physical temple. They couldn't see their great high priest. He was in heaven. Maybe that led to doubts. Maybe they liked to uh, see the priests. Furthermore, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, and the law never said anything about priests coming from Judah. It was all so different, it seemed. And this is where the author of Hebrews makes his point in Hebrews 7. The oath God swore to the coming Messiah in Psalm 110 would help these Jewish Christians persevere in the faith. Those who confess Jesus as the Christ— 
The author is saying here, look, God swore this oath about the coming Christ, the coming Messiah. Yes, the books of Moses never said anything about men from Judah serving as priests. But everyone knew, the Jews knew, that the Messiah would be from the tribe of Judah. And here in Psalm 110, the Lord is swearing an oath to that coming Christ, the one who would sit at his right hand as king. And he's swearing an oath that this Christ would not only be a king, that he would be a priest forever. And this would help to give these Jewish Christians in this uh, early time period certainty in their faith. Yes, Jesus is a Christ, and that means he is also my high priest because God has sworn this oath about him. And so they didn't need to go back to their old life of Judaism with the temple and the priest there. They could hold on to these words of God. And that's why the author of Hebrews describes this hope as an anchor uh, for the soul. They didn't have to waver in their faith. This oath would keep them stable in it. And the reality is that this oath, sworn by God, about the Christ, provides an anchor also for our souls. Verses 19 and 20 puts it like this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I remember speaking with Reverend Yonker about this passage before. He mentioned that this is the only time you throw an anchor uh, upwards, right? Usually you throw an, up, an anchor uh, down into the water, uh, keeps you from moving around. But this anchor goes up into heaven. And why is this an anchor for your soul? Well, God swore this oath for your benefit so that you would be absolutely certain about his saving purposes in Jesus Christ. Remember, God is always trustworthy, but so often we have a hard time trusting him. But God gave this oath to help us trust God, to believe the gospel. Jesus is the Christ, he is your high priest. You can know that with 100% certainty. Jesus is a priest forever. God has sworn an oath and will not change his mind. And search the scriptures. God swore an oath like this about no one else in history. So you don't need to look for another savior, another mediator other than Jesus Christ. He is it. You can be sure that Jesus Christ is a high priest that meets your needs. He's the only Savior and mediator you need. He's the guarantor of a better covenant, says verse 22. He guarantees that the covenant promises of God will be fulfilled. Now, how does that help you in your day-to-day life? Means, it means you can have confidence to always come before God through Jesus Christ. That's one reason why God swore this oath, so that you would, in confidence, in faith, 
come before God through Jesus Christ, your Savior. God has sworn this oath. He will never go back on his word. Jesus represents you, God's people in heaven. So when we sin and stumble every day, this oath can provide an anchor for our souls. We can say to ourselves, God made this oath, I can count on him. Jesus is my high priest in heaven. I can come before God seeking his forgiveness, seeking his grace. And when I confess my sins to him, I'm assured that God will forgive me through the saving work of Jesus Christ. You do not need to doubt. You can be 100% certain. That brings us to our second point. So having seen God's oath-making, we're now going to transition into the oaths that we as God's people make. And the first thing we want to see at this point is that Christians indeed can lawfully make oaths. Now, there are some groups who deny that Christians are allowed to make oaths. After all, the Lord Jesus teaches us to simply let our yes be yes and our no be no. Uh, The book of James says similar things. However, uh, since God himself swore a number of oaths, we know for sure that not all oath-making is sin. Uh, Furthermore, Ecclesiastes 5 assumes that believers will make oaths at certain points. And this is further confirmed by the fact that godly people in Scripture swore oaths. Includes many people, Abraham, Joshua, David, the Apostle Paul, and and so forth. God never condemned them for this. In fact, the Lord himself said in Deuteronomy 10, verse 20, You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. So what Scripture is warning against is a misuse and abuse of oaths. And because swearing an oath is such a serious matter, we need to take care that we make them in a godly way. We may not swear just by any old thing, saying things like, I swear by my mother's grave, or simply out of place for Christians. Now, the Catechism summarizes various situations where Christians will at at times make oaths. There we read in Lord's Day 37, May we swear an oath by the name of God in a godly manner. Yes, when the government demands it of its subjects, or when necessity requires it, in order to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Now, God, remember, God did not need to swear any oaths. But there were certain matters about which he wanted to make it unfailingly clear to his people what his purposes were and are. And this gives, this gave the people to whom he made the oath a sense of conviction and trust. God will act by what he says. He's assuredly telling the truth. He's bonding himself to a certain course of action. And this is also the purpose and benefit of the oaths and the vows we make. And there are situations that call for this. One of those times is when we give testimony 
in the court of law. When determining someone's guilt or innocence before the judge, it's of utmost importance for people to speak the truth. After all, the implications can be huge. And God repeatedly says in Scripture how he hates a lying witness. So lying under oath is a very serious sin that God will indeed punish. And so swearing an oath in court is meant to promote certainty on the, people, on the part of the people who are hearing the witness. It is true that these things do not eliminate the sin of perjury, lying under oath. However, this type of oath-making does promote the truth, and it promotes justice in very serious matters. And so it's rightly used for good. Christians can make these oaths. Another situation that calls for the right use of oaths and vows is marriage. The marriage of a man and a woman is the closest relationship on earth. The Lord Jesus teaches in Matthew 19 that when a man and a woman get married, they are no longer two, but one. God joins them together. They are one. It's the closest bond between humans. And so the Lord Jesus adds in Matthew 19, when speaking about divorce, what God has joined together, let man not separate. You see, marriage is designed by God to be a lifelong bond. So there's no easy way out of marriage. And this is one reason why a man and a woman exchange vows on their wedding day. The purpose of making a marriage vow is so that a person binds himself or herself to a certain course of action towards his or her spouse. On the one hand, you swear to be faithful to help Guard yourself against adultery. Because temptations to unfaithfulness in marriage may come. And the vow a person makes on their uh, wedding day is meant to guard them against that. They have bound themselves to be faithful to their spouse. On the other hand, people swear an oath to be faithful to their spouse in order to benefit the other person. The marriage vow is meant to promote certainty to the other person that his or her spouse is promising to be faithful until, until death do us part. And this creates stability in the marriage relationship and therefore is a right use of an oath. Another area Christians make vows is in their profession of faith. If they join the church as an adult, they do this at their baptism. If they have been baptized as a child, they do this when they later on make profession. Parents also make vows when presenting their, own, their children for baptism. They are vowing to raise their children in the ways of the Lord. See, these situations call for making oaths because the circumstances are so important. People professing their faith are binding themselves to a certain way of life, to live a life of faith and new obedience to God. And Christian parents are binding themselves to teach their children in the Christian faith to the utmost of their power. 
Our reading from Ecclesiastes 5 shows us the seriousness of making uh, these vows. There we read, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your uh, work and a voice and destroy the work of your hands? So the calling we have as Christians when we swear oaths is to keep them as faithfully as God keeps his own vows. There's not even a speck of uncertainty that God will be unfaithful to what he has sworn. We might say, yeah, but what about when things are really difficult? Keeping my vow is going to bring me a lot of trouble. But think about this. Remember the incredible cost to God as a result of the oaths that he made. The Lord swore to Abraham that he would surely bless his descendants. The Lord swore that the coming Messiah would be a priest forever. God was binding himself to these actions. And in order to keep his vows, it would cost God the Father the death of his very son. And yet the Father willingly gave up his own son in order to be faithful to these oaths that he swore. And so, yes, keeping our vows might bring us difficulty. But faithfulness is always the goal for us who are being recreated into the image of God. You know, right now we're in the third part of the catechism, our thankfulness. On Lord's Day 32 begins this section by saying, Why must we do good works, including the good work of keeping our oaths? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image. So as those being renewed into the image of Christ, our goal is to be faithful as God is faithful. Now, of course, we know we are imperfect. We easily fall short of this standard. And if we try to do this in our own strength, we're going to fail. But this is where we turn to God and turn to Christ our Savior. We seek His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is at work in us. Call on Him to strengthen you to faithfully more and more keep your vows. And the last thing we need to remember in all this is God's forgiving grace as well. You know, when you think of the complete faithfulness of God doing exactly what He has said without a shred of doubt, it really highlights our own shortcomings. We are often fickle. We stumble in many ways. We do not perfectly keep our oaths. And sometimes it can happen. God's children might swear falsely or tragically break their vows. And one person who swore falsely 
in the Bible is the disciple Peter. When Christ was on trial before the high priest, Peter denied knowing Jesus. And on the third time, Mark 14, verse 71 says, Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Swearing falsely. That was a serious abuse of an oath and of God's name. Yet Christ, our great high priest, was merciful to him. He freely forgave Peter for this sin. And yes, we must remember God's grace must never be taken as an opportunity to sin. Yet when we do stumble, we come to God through Jesus Christ, our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And in him we find forgiveness for all of our sins. Amen.